And welcome to Texting Matters, your one-stop audio shop for all things tax, brought to you by RPC. My name is Alice Kemp, and I will be your guide as we explore the sometimes lost time and ever-changing landscape that is the world of tax law and tax disputes. Taxing Matters brings you a fortnightly roadmap to guide you and your business through this labyrinth. In case any of you miss any crucial information or just want some bedtime reading... There is a full transcript of this and indeed every episode of Tax and Matters on our website at www.rpc.co.uk forward slash tax and matters. Today we take a break from our regularly scheduled programming to bring you a special episode for International Women's Day. Today we're talking to a number of senior women in tax about their experiences, increasing diversity and the tips that they have for those looking to follow in their footsteps. So welcome to you all and can I just get each of you to introduce yourselves? Um, great to be on the show Alice, thanks very much for inviting me. My name is Emma Ajman. I'm Global Tax Correspondent at the FT. Um, so I mean, I, I've been covering tax for the last couple of years and have recently stepped up into this new role since October. It basically just means I can cover um, anything to do with tax anywhere in the world. So that's both a very exciting thing and slightly terrifying thing. Um, but yeah, I'm great to, I've been happy to be on the show with you today. Hello, I'm Heather Self. I'm a tax partner at Blick Rothenberg, who are a mid to large size accountancy and tax practice based in London. Uh, I've been in tax for a long time. I've been a partner in the big four. I've worked in industry and I've worked for HMRC and a law firm. So I've seen tax from a lot of angles and I still enjoy it. Perfect. Thanks. Um, So thank you so much for having me on the podcast. My name is Sophia Thomas. I'm the director of Thomas Consulting. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm Valentina Sloan QC. I'm a self-employed barrister with Moncton Chambers. I practice in tax, all sorts of indirect taxes, alongside a busy commercial practice. And I combine that with having three relatively young children. I've got three boys at home, aged between five and ten. Hi, I'm Sarah Fahi. I was head of Sony's European tax team until December 2019, when I decided to give up full-time employment to take some time out and shift my focus onto coaching and mentoring I'd planned for 2020 to be a big year of travel, which didn't exactly work out as planned. Um, But it's been a great opportunity to take some me time after over 30 years working in tax. And it's been an interesting time to watch the dynamics in the diversity and inclusion space. Thank you very much for that. Great to have you all with us for this special International Women's Day episode of Taxing Matters. So if I can start with you, Sarah, can you describe for us your career journey that's brought you to where you are today? Uh, Well, almost by accident rather than design, I think, Alice, I grew up in the West Midlands. Um, I went to Birmingham University. I did a general business studies degree. I had no clear idea of what I wanted to do uh, when I was at school or when I was at university or probably for the first five or 10 years of my career either. Um, I was drawn to tax because I'd enjoyed law at university, but the chartered accountancy qualification gave me more options. Um, I trained with Arthur Anderson. I then moved on to a small city law firm as their only tax specialist, uh, supporting their corporate M&A team, Um, and then passed very briefly through KPMG and moved in-house. First, I went to PepsiCo, where I 
managed a geographical area that included Eastern Europe and the Middle East, so interesting territories as a woman, and then moved on to Sony um, in 2001. Um, I, I got here through, you know, hard work like, like everybody, but also being very fortunate to work with some people who sponsored and helped me and gave me very critical feedback um, at, at, at decisive points in my career. And I think also by focusing on what I was doing and where I was doing it, rather than focusing on a job title. Fantastic. And Heather, can you tell us something of your path to your present position? It's been a long path, but all through tax. So I read maths at university, decided I really didn't want to teach and I wasn't good enough to do research. So I looked at financial careers and I felt that getting an accountancy qualification would open up a number of doors. And I went to train with the big four. So I started with what was then Arthur Young McClelland Moores. It became Ernst & Young. And after about 12 years, I became a partner there. And I was a partner there for about nine years. I then went to be head of tax at a power company, Scottish Power PLC. And from there, I had a brief spell at Grant Thornton. And then I joined the revenue just to do something different. From there, I went to a law firm working in tax disputes. And then three years ago, I came to Blick Rothenberg. So I've always been in tax, but I've worked for a wide variety of businesses and employers. Thank you, Heather. Sophia, could you tell us a little about your route? So I started my career in tax at PwC on the apprentice route um, as I didn't have a degree. So I just went in uh, on their Head Start programme. And then I moved from PwC to Citibank. And after working there for 18 months, I set up my own firm. And we are just about to go into our fourth year. Perfect. Emma, your global tax correspondent at the FT, how did you work towards that position? Yeah. um, So I think it starts off because, you know, people say to me, well, um, did you have any interest in tax? <laughs> um, did you sort of, you know, do, do you have any kind of actual qualifications in terms of finance and tax? Um, and the answer, sadly, is no. <laughs> um, you know, like most journalists, I started off um, on, the, on the journalism route rather than, you know, a specialism. So um, I, I actually started off, most of my journalism career has been in financial journalism. So I started off um, working for the Investors Chronicle um, in, when was it? Um, I started in 2015, so covering personal finance sort of more broadly and investing um, and some tax issues on the side. Um, but it certainly wasn't the main part of, of what I did. However, um, I did always enjoy <laughs> writing about tax stories. I felt I sort of felt them to be very sort of mentally challenging and um Yeah, you know, you really had to kind of understand the details, but at the same time be able to see why it was important. So I always found it interesting. Um, And yeah, after I'd been at the Investors Chronicle for a couple of years, um, the opportunity came up to join um, FT Money. And um, the Investors Chronicle is actually a Financial Times publication. So they're all in the same sort of bank of, of publications. So it was basically joining the sister paper, um, but obviously the more famous um, one, um, the Financial Times proper. So, and that was to cover personal tax issues focused on the UK. Um, and again, I thought, okay, well, you know, I, I enjoyed writing about tax, but, you know, I wasn't, I was excited about joining the FT and I thought it'd be interesting to cover tax, but I certainly had no idea 
like actually how interesting it would be. <laughs> and so within about six months, um, I can, you know, I can honestly say I became somewhat addicted to tax. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it really has been a quite um, unexpected journey in terms of discovering tax as a sort of peripheral issue to suddenly um, covering it as a now become global tax correspondent. So yeah, the, the, the sort of enthusiasm and the scope of tax that I cover has just sort of grown. Great, thank you. And Valentina, how have you navigated your career path? Well, I never really dreamt that I'd be a tax lawyer when I was young. Um, I did always know that I was going to probably do something in business because my favourite toy when I was young was a plastic briefcase. <laughs> but it never really occurred to me to get into law or tax until as a teenager I started watching LA Law. And that's a terrible reason to get into law because, of course, law is nothing like LA Law. <laughs> um, and I remember doing a law degree, which was probably a mistake. Um, because I hated it. I remember uh, writing an essay on mortgages and easements and thinking, this is not, this did not feature in LA Law. Um, so I almost gave up at that point. And I'm glad I didn't, because whilst I don't have much interest in law as an academic subject, what I love about it is the problem-solving aspect of it. Helping people with tax problems, legal problems, businesses, all the government, and then communicating. So um, I ended up uh, in Monks and Chambers, having quite a broad practice, and then rather serendipitously ended up doing more and more tax and finding that I really enjoyed it. What a wonderful range of career paths that have independently brought you all to the world of tax. I wonder if you could each put into words for me, what's your experience been of working in tax as a woman? Sarah? That's not an easy question to answer unless we've got a couple of days to, to go over it. Um, the things I liked about tax was that uh, no two days were the same. Um, I never knew what was coming next. Um, we were always working at the cutting edge of things um, because our business has always been very dynamic and cutting edge. And so there have been many points in my career where our businesses wanted to do something that tax law didn't really reflect and we had to kind of work out how that would would fit within the framework of, of international taxation um, but obviously business doesn't always respect international boundaries or, or other other rules that that the tax legislation tends to try to follow so for me that that constant change constant challenge was a real positive. Um, the other thing I think that I've really enjoyed was, was that tax has to be kind of at the heart of a business. You've got to interact with a lot of other people. You've got to understand how the business works. And I, so I was always in a professional environment working with lawyers, with finance people, with HR people, um, with business people. Um, yeah, and, and that, again, sort of helped me not get too insular. Um, I... I I liked being in an in-house role for, for that reason, that I felt very close to and very connected to a business. And Heather, what has been your experience of working in tax? Well, when I started, the most senior woman in Arthur Young in Manchester was a newly qualified accountant. So it has changed quite a bit since then. I think as I was coming up the ranks as a young manager, it helped me to be a woman sometimes because people noticed me. So I can remember one uh, dinner I went to led by a, a senior partner who said, uh, gentleman and Heather, 
<laughs> it did help me get noticed a bit. Um, I have to say, I've never experienced any overt prejudice or discrimination. I think I was very lucky with my first boss. He was a fairly young partner, married to a very forthright wife who I think uh, made it clear to him that he was expected to behave well towards women, and he did. So we actually had a lot of senior managers who were women quite early on before most other firms had got round to it. Sophia, how have you found it? So I really, really have enjoyed working in tax. I find that it is an environment where you sometimes need to have a little bit more... um, of an intention to go out and and meet other people who are also working within tax. Potentially, you need to knock on some doors. But my experience has been that when you do that, and when you put yourself out there, there's a lot of people in the tax industry that are very welcoming, very happy to receive you. Um, I've had a lot of support from a lot of women who work in tax and also men. Um, I think that as somebody who runs my own business, my network is crucial to me because I don't have that kind of team within my own business. But it's been really a really pleasant experience to know that there are people who have your back and who are being supportive. There's definitely been times when I first started out and I would go to the conferences where I would walk in the room and as a black woman, there were times when I felt that I looked, uh, that I stood out, that maybe there were I wasn't being reflected in, in the conference environment. And that's just, I guess, the state of affairs sometimes. Uh, there was certainly nobody was saying or doing anything that made me feel uncomfortable, but it was just, as you see all these other faces, you sometimes feel a little bit um, out of place. So that, that's been something I'm still working through now with our online environment and things being in a Zoom um, place. It actually makes it a lot more easy to go out, I find, and, and meet with others. We're all meeting on the same um, on the same playing field, and that's been really enjoyable and quite an interesting quirk of the lockdown. Really interesting point, I agree. And Valentina? It's been very positive. I remember years ago listening to an episode of Women's Hour when Jenny Murray interviewed a series of senior women in the medical profession. And one of them was a very senior eye surgeon. And she said it was great for work-life balance because it's very rare that you're called into hospital in the middle of the night to do emergency eye surgery. And I think of tax as the eye surgery of law because it's not about urgent injunctions or expedited applications. It's not about month-long hearings. It's a really interesting area of law, which is very compatible with the work-life balance. And where, from the beginning of my career, I've seen really inspiring female role models. So I think it's a really great area of law for women in particular. Great. Emma, how have you gone about things? Um, Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, I think just generally in terms of financial services and um, investment, I started off in covering investment, it is a very male-dominated world. Um, It's also quite a white world. Um, You know, I'm um, black um, British. So, you know, it was, it did take some kind of getting used to sort of turning up at events and basically being the only person, the only uh, person of colour often and um, typically one of, you know, sort of a minority of women. Um, but that hasn't, you know, that's, you know, obviously it's not, it's not great that the, the industries, um, tax and you know, financial services in general, are not diverse enough. Um, but I don't feel that you know, actually when I've been meeting people, that I've had any kind of, um, you know, unfriendliness or, you know, you know, nastiness or anything like that. It's, it has been welcoming. It's just, it's just very notable how undiverse it is. Um, but in terms of actually what I do on a day-to-day basis, I don't really let that 
um, stop me. I just, you know, I, you know, want to, my job is to look at tax issues, to um, ask questions for, you know, readers and the public at large. Um, why is this important? And I just carry on doing that and um, expect to be, you know, treated um, respect. And, and I have been. So in some sense, you know, it hasn't actually felt that it's been a hindrance to me, but it is, especially when you start out, there is a sense of, you know, sort of, I don't know, a sort of pullback, like, oh gosh, I'm, you know, <laughs> I somewhat stick out a bit. But, 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 you know, that's good. It's good to, it's good, um, it's good to be, to be from somebody who has a different perspective and hopefully we can get more people um, so that that's not going to be such a kind of culture shock um, as things go on. Turning now to the challenges, Emma, if I can start with you, what challenges have you faced or have you witnessed others face in the tax profession? Um, I think that for me as a journalist, obviously covering tax with a specialism now, um, I understand the tax world more than most journalists and actually most editors. So um, there could be something that is, I think, a really interesting story. Um, For an example, quite recent example, uh, last week, I, I um, sort of broke the news that the UK government is planning to do something called um, a tax day um, or consultation day for the first time ever. Um, so that's basically um, a bunch of consultations that the government's going to put out on tax policy on the 23rd of March. And um, it's something that the Financial Secretary, Jesse Norman, mentioned few weeks back to MPs on the Treasury Select Committee, but then the announcement came in a letter and it was sort of buried somewhere on the, on the gov.uk website. And certainly the tax people I was speaking to were saying this is a really important issue. Um, it's kind of where the government's going to set out its future of tax policy. It, it's happening in a very interesting time when, when um, you know, everybody... The whole country is on tenterhooks trying to figure out what's going to happen in terms of tax rises. Um, you know, the context of this is really interesting. Um, and I could definitely get that as a journalist, but actually selling it to sort of editors to say, well, this is important. Um, you know, tax consultation, you know, and the ready people are kind of glazing over <laughs> um, because they don't really get the significance of it. So that has been, it's kind of a constant challenge to, well, get over the perceptions of tax being, you know, dry and technical and, and boring. Um, and certainly it can be dry and technical, but from covering it as a journalist, I, fa- I found, as I, as I told you, the, the journey um, the journey I've had, uh, certainly not boring and, and sometimes can be extremely exciting. And it's just trying to t- explain it in a way that people get it. Heather, what are your thoughts? I think one of the challenges is the the glass ceiling, actually breaking through to get to partner level. And part of that is the assumption that women may not want to take on the big challenges. And if you don't take on the big challenges, you don't get the next opportunity. So when I was a senior manager, I wasn't very happy. I wanted to do something different. I thought about leaving, but decided not to. And then I got offered the chance to go to New York for six months. And my then boss, who, as I say, was a great boss, his assumption was, I never thought you'd want to do that. I said, why not? I'm up for it. I'll, have, I'll give it a go. And I think 
sometimes women aren't given the opportunities because there's an assumption they won't be up for something challenging. I think the challenge that a lot of women face, and I think it's often the elephant in the room, is whether or not to have children and when to have children and what you do if you do have children. Now, I'm very fortunate. I've been married a long time. I've got two children and I've got an incredibly supportive husband. But I think we sometimes avoid talking about the question of children because people are fearful of being discriminatory. Whereas actually, I think one of the things particularly women who've managed to combine a career with children can do is to talk to younger women about the challenges that that's brought and how they've coped with them. Sophia, how has it been for you? I think potentially the biggest challenges, as always, are probably going to be the internal ones. So feeling not good enough, feeling as though I'm not experienced enough to be potentially giving me advice that I'm giving or not experienced enough to be speaking at conferences. So that's been that's been quite difficult. And I also found that there was there might be really helpful roadmaps out there for people who run their own tax businesses. But if there are, I haven't found them. So I wasn't really sure of what route I needed to go down and how I needed to build my own business. And then also just understanding, I guess, a lot of people who work in tax, you seem to see the people that have on their CV, I've worked in tax for 35 years. So when you're the one that's worked in tax for, you know, two years or five years or 10 years, that can be really daunting. And I just really struggled with well, how do I meet these people as a on, on a level I want to meet people and I want to be their peers I don't want them to treat me like I'm extremely junior um, I want to create relationships with them and that's been quite difficult because we we do as an industry really wave our number of years around as a, as a flag of of our experience but it can be really hard then as someone who doesn't meet that criteria to kind of um, I guess join into that um, discussion and, and what's going on there. And Sarah, what have you found challenging in your career? Well, for a very large part of my career, um, I've been, you know, the only woman in the room. Um, And in, in some cases come against people who really thought I didn't deserve to be there or, or didn't want to listen to what I had to say. Uh, I started work back in the mid 80s. Um, I've got enough me too experiences to fill a book um uh, working in environments that at times were very male dominated very kind of boys public school atmosphere quite hostile uh to 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 women and basically just kind of learn to put up or shut up because that was kind of your only option at the time Um, I've had more senior people, men, try to intimidate me because they didn't like the message I was delivering. Um, And I've also um, experienced trying to broaden my responsibilities by by taking over a business where essentially management almost wanted me to fail. Um, this, This was, you know, I was in Sony the Japanese culture respects um, age and experience, and I didn't really have those within the company. Um, the, the, the 15 years I'd done tax elsewhere didn't really count. Um, I was female, I wasn't Japanese, I was relatively young, um, and, and essentially faced a lot of scepticism. Um, and even uh, the, the assistant who'd been sent to help me through this process I remember turning to me at one point and saying oh I'm very surprised that you succeeded because I really didn't expect you to like, oh thanks for that massive vote of confidence um I, I think a lot of 
my real challenges, though, whilst some of those things were unpleasant, really came from within. It was it was lack of confidence um, and it was really believing that I I was a fake, you know, imposter syndrome, absolutely classic. Um, I was the only person in the in the room who wasn't incredibly clever, who didn't know what I was talking about. And it was a matter of time before someone found me out. Really interesting point. I agree. And Valentina, what about the challenges that you have faced, particularly as a woman in tax? I'm pleased to say that I've come across very few problems being a woman in tax. And in fact, most of the time, if you're the only woman in a room, you can uh, value the difference that you bring. I did have one occasion very early on when I was speaking to a man who said he'd love to come and see me for tax advice, but unfortunately his clients were more interested in men with a silver tongue and silver hair. And I didn't call it out at the time, but also I didn't really believe it at the time because I saw lots of really powerful women in leadership positions who were more interested in uh, the meritocratic aspect of tax. They were interested in just getting the best candidate, no matter your age or your gender or your background. And I think there'll always be people like that man who bring their own prejudices, but who are also probably the sort of people who watch VSH videos um, long after everyone else has moved on to DVDs and then streaming. I think he was just a bit of a dinosaur. And apart from that one incident, I've never had a problem or felt that I've been discriminated against because of my gender. Well, thank you all for that. Given some of your experiences and those of many other women, how do you think we need to work towards a more diverse and inclusive workplace? Emma, if I can take you first. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I wish I had all the answers, Alice. I, I really, you know, it's a big, big question. Um, I don't, wouldn't pretend to say that I have all the answers. Um, I think that for me, it's just about, you know, being welcoming to people, being welcoming to people who are different for whatever reason that is or not, not part of the majority, um, whatever that is. And and also just being willing to listen because you know I think um, sometimes well sometimes people think oh well you know everybody has bias everybody has some degree of of prejudice um, and the challenge is to actually not let that blind us to people um, so just being able to be respectful to people and to everyone and actually you know, talk to people, talk to people that you wouldn't normally speak to or you don't normally have in your circuit, um, you don't necessarily agree with. If it's, you know, it's actually, you know, it's not just about lived experience, difference, different, you know, people have different views. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I would try to say. But, you know, as I said, <laughs> I don't have all the answers, but that's just, that's kind of one thing I think would be good. Thank you, Emma. So, Sarah, how do you think we go about achieving more diversity and inclusivity? I think that's that's a really good question, and it's one that doesn't have a, a really easy answer. I think there's been a lot of focus on increasing representation, so getting more women, getting more people of colour, you know, getting more minorities in, and and that's really a first step. And it's an important first step, but but that's all it is. Because true diversity 
needs inclusion. You know, the benefit of diversity is you have different perspectives and you make better decisions. But you don't do that when the minorities in the room don't have a voice. So I think it's it's really important that we start to change our working cultures. And that may mean using different language. That may mean different hiring processes. That may mean different recruitment processes. It's different day-to-day stuff. It's how we behave in meetings. It's, you know, do we ask the person who hasn't said anything what they're thinking, or do we just assume that they've got nothing to contribute and move on? And and I think we only really start to change culture when there's enough people who bring that different perspective, whether it's, again, women or people of colour or other minorities, so that the culture itself starts to shift Because when you're a minority in a culture that works for everybody else in the room, kind of your your only hope is to adapt to fit in. And what you want is is a pervasive culture that works equally for everybody. But that that really requires everybody to change. Um, Another way I think that um, is really helpful when you're thinking about diversity and, and the benefits that it brings is... In my career, I found I have learned more from working with people who really approach things differently from me. Um, I, I, I'm a very kind of linear person. I, I'm a project manager. I get things done. I had a colleague who was very creative, very blue sky thinking, and he used to drive me crazy because he'd come in and I was nine tenths of the way through finishing something, and he'd say, "Well, yeah, but you know, have we thought of doing it this way?" And I'd like, "Shut up, go away. I'm, I'm nearly done." And actually, when I learned to listen to that, I realized that he was helping me see much more creative options. And, and I think I've learned more working with people where it's maybe been a little bit difficult to work with them because we're not exactly the same. We're not always on the same page. But but I think the benefits are, have been really clear of that. And I think that's a really good thing to bear in mind when we're talking about diversity. We're not just doing the right thing there are benefits for us as well. And Sophia, can you share some of your thoughts? My, so I've been asked this question a couple of times and my answer to this tends to be the same, which is that I think that we need to have, um, when we create diversity and, and inclusivity, I would like to see it being done by having the people, having the experts be, so having a black woman be an expert in tax because she's an expert in tax and not have her talk because she's a black woman. I think those things are really, really important. So don't let's not pigeonhole people and saying, oh, because you have a disability, we'd like you to talk about disability and tax, because the chances are that that person with disability is, is an expert in some area within tax. So I want to see those profiles raised um, really widely. And I also think there's an opportunity for uh, people who are already in the industry and potentially have quite a high profile of those individuals taking on a more mentorship role Uh, certainly if anyone's listening to this I informally mentor quite a few different individuals and more than happy for anyone to to reach out to me um, and if they want support with getting into speaking or getting into article writing I think we I do find tax quite a kind place but it can be still very daunting to to reach out to somebody completely unknown and ask for a bit of support so I think we need diverse individuals to reach out for the support and then we need other individuals to be willing to support those people as well. And Heather how do we go about creating diverse and inclusive workspaces? 
So one of the big things I've done in the last few years is to be involved in setting up the Women in Tax group. Now, we set that up out of sheer frustration at an event that I went to that was chaired by a man who introduced his diverse panel. They were all men. It just so happened they had two lawyers and two accountants, and he thought that made it diverse. So a few of us said, right, enough is enough. And we thought there was demand for a group called Women in Tax, and we set it up. And what we've tried to do there is a range of things. One is that we just simply call it out if there's an event which is all male. We go, why? Where are the women? We know lots of good women. Ask us, we'll help you find them. And I think there's been a real impact. It's far rarer now to see a panel that's all male. We also try and be a supportive network. So we run quite a lot of events on personal skills, things like confidence in public speaking or how to build your CV and In fact, for International Women's Day a couple of years ago, we ran an event called Ordinary Women Extraordinary Stories, where we picked women who were not necessarily superstars, but they'd all got interesting stories to tell. And we felt that was a way to encourage other women. I think one of the big challenges that we haven't yet cracked is the the wider aspects of diversity, not just women on panels, but multi-ethnic women, women with very different backgrounds and Disability as well. I think the tax profession at the moment is very poor on disability. One of the things that I hope might come out of the lessons we've learned from this pandemic is that actually it's easier than you might think to make reasonable adjustments for someone who can't travel easily or has got poor eyesight or poor hearing. And I really think we ought to do more on disability if we're going to be really inclusive. Great. Thanks, Heather. Can I ask you, Valentina, what are your thoughts on this? Well, that's a really interesting problem. It's one that at Moncton Chambers, we're constantly reviewing to try and uh, bring about best practice. And I see it as really three different stages in your career and in the workplace. One is about recruitment, one is about progression, and one is about retention. And there are lots of practical steps that we take. Uh, For example, at recruitment stage, we anonymize applications. Uh, We make sure that we have a diverse panel in terms of background, age, gender, to make sure that we're not recruiting in our own image. We regularly undergo training to check our subconscious biases. When it comes to progression and retention, we carefully look at whether everyone is getting equal access to opportunities to be being brought into cases. And we've also put in place specific uh, financial measures to assist people with caring responsibilities or taking maternity or paternity leave. So I think it's identifying where are the difficult areas, the potential barriers in each of those areas of your career and what specific measures can you take? Yes, some really good points here and really exciting to hear that some practical steps are already underway. So finally, uh, each of you, what are your top tips for anyone who's looking at the field of tax and looking to follow in your footsteps? So, Valentina, what tips and guidance do you have for anyone who might be looking to follow in your footsteps? Well, I suppose I have two main tips. The first is to think about how to improve your communication and public presentation skills. It's such an important skill. And I think you can really stand out and progress in your career if you're confident about speaking in public. And it's a skill that many people are scared of or think is either inherent and they can't acquire. And that's wrong. You can definitely acquire it and you can definitely improve. 
And there are tons of great resources online, lots of great TEDx talks about how to overcome nerves and to communicate confidently. And I see that as a really important aspect of projecting confidence and doing well in your career, which isn't uh, unique to being a barrister. I think anyone can benefit from that. And it's something that people can absolutely improve on, like many other skills, which just requires practice. The second tip that I would say is that it is undoubtedly tough combining any sort of career with having young children. And I think it's important to try and carve out time for yourself and space for yourself. And I got some really good advice from one of my colleagues in Chambers when I was really busy at work and she said, come out, let's go and do some exercise together. And I said, I'm far too busy to exercise. And she said, no, 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 it's when you're most busy that you most need to take time out to exercise. And that transformed my approach to it and also generally to trying to achieve a work-life balance. Great. And Sophia? I would say that first, the first thing I would say is define what success is to you. Um, if success is working three days a week and spending the rest of your time on projects and gardening and, and things like that, that's going to be absolutely crucial. And if success to you is being a partner in a big firm, then that's also important. So I would certainly start there, defining what, what success is. Specifically, if you're wanting to set up your own firm, which is what I've done, I would think about what is it that I want my firm to look like in five years' time. And then you work, how I did it certainly was I worked my way back. If I need to be here in five years' time, what do I need to be doing in four years, then in three, then in two, then in one? And what do I need to start now? And I would really encourage people to very genuinely build a good network of, of individuals. Um, if you have, certainly during lockdown, there's so many women in tax who've received emails from me having mini meltdowns on a almost weekly basis because of homeschooling or something like that and they those people have really managed to get me through and it's so nice to have other professionals in your network that can just understand what that feels like and you can offer support to them and then they can also offer support back to you so certainly I wouldn't think of your career in a silo I definitely think about it in what do you want your life to look like and how is your career going to help you achieve that rather than starting with your career and hoping that your life falls into place afterwards. I think what I've realized over the course of my business is the more you're the more you are successful or the bigger your success is also the bigger your failures are and certainly that failures don't go away just because you've started to have some success. I think hearing other people talk about them can be really really nice. There's a um, there is there's a book called How to Fail which is a fantastic book and really is very supportive. Um when I fail or when I experience things that don't go the way I want I will usually just take a maybe an afternoon maybe a day depending on how big the <laughs> the failure was to just really sit with it, exist with it, realise that this is not the way that I wanted it to go and then slowly try and move myself out of it. For me, using the phrase, everything happens for a reason, doesn't work with me if I use it immediately after I get that, whatever's happened has happened. So I just need to process it and then move forward. But certainly I would hope people to encourage people to remember that everybody is going through these failures. We just don't see it. We don't talk about it. It's not published on social media and it, it doesn't, it does not invalidate all of your successes and it doesn't, it's not a message that you're on the wrong track. In fact, if you're failing, it's probably a message that you're absolutely doing what you should be doing. Um, and so just take uh, solace in that. And Sarah, what advice can you offer for anyone who might be looking to follow in your footsteps? Um, yeah, I think feedback is, is really important um, and it can be hard to get good and honest feedback what I found really helpful was was getting a coach, uh, and I think a coach or a mentor, someone who's not directly involved in it, um, can be a little bit impartial, and and is really 
crucially on your side who will help you give a better view get a better view of yourself I found it really helpful to understand my own working style my personality my drivers and to understand that the vision I had of myself in my head wasn't actually what other people saw and I needed to get over the kind of negative perceptions that I had of myself to be successful and once I'd done that I I felt a lot freer and a lot more comfortable and a lot less like I was faking it and and I think the other thing is is not to take challenges personally um if if someone's butting heads with you going up against you trying to shut you down it's really important to focus on what you're trying to achieve and try to do what's right rather than being worried that you know they don't like you or they're trying to attack you and I think that's particularly important if it is meant that way and and I've had a a few occasions where it has been but I think really what helped me get through it was focusing on what was important what was I trying to do and believing that that was the right thing to do Um, and if people resented me as a result then kind of that was their problem not mine. I think the other thing I that I like to talk about is networking because I think a lot of women particularly don't really feel terribly comfortable with the concept of networking and I didn't for a long time it kind of sounded like you know chatting to people at the golf club because you thought they could do you a favor one day and it felt quite artificial to me but if I kind of change my perspective on it as just making connections making a good personal connection with them and then things tend to flow from that and it also works two ways. I, I found that better. I found it very hard to network in a walking up to someone cold and just going, hi, I'm, you know, Sarah, what can I do for you? But but I think if if you take a slightly different view of it, it may feel more comfortable for people. Networks are very important, finding a, a, a tribe of people who support you. Um, and I always found, you know, networking quite complicated, etc. Thank you. And Emma, obviously, as a journalist, you bring a completely different perspective. So what, what advice have you got? Um, it's specifically about like journalism, covering tax or just sort of journalism more generally. All of it. OK, um, I think for journalism especially it's quite you know it's 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 kind of well known to be a relatively hard industry to get into um and that certainly pits puts people off even trying they think oh well it's so competitive and there's no jobs like you're gonna have to work for free for ages all of which you know is not untrue um however speaking for myself like I actually I, I worked in I, I came to be a journalist like sort of my in my late twenties. Like I'd worked on other things before becoming a journalist, and I, I certainly felt like at the time um, it's going to be more difficult because I don't know. Um, I haven't started immediately out of university, kind of thing, and so it really hasn't been. I think that the, the, the advice would be is to actually just go and connect with editors. I mean, sometimes you know, just email people, you know. Uh, stalk them on Twitter or LinkedIn. I mean, I mean sometimes um, you wouldn't always get a response because you know, my inbox is insane and I can't reply to every email I get. But sometimes, I, I, you know, people have contacted me and um, I've been I've, I've replied to them. And certainly, I did that when I started out. Um, I I emailed my local paper and said, 
can I come do some work experience for you? And they came back very quickly and said, yes, absolutely. Um, so it just, there's ways in and maybe just don't let the intimidation of that, how you know, it's journalism, capital J, <laughs> let, let that put you off. It is just about, you know, talking to people. Um, that's basically what journalism is, talking to people and, and finding out what's going on and explaining it to other people. That's, that's it. Um, so, yeah, and in terms of covering tax, um, I think that, I think that, you know, you've got to have an enthusiasm for tax. Um, I, I certainly, as I was explaining, I didn't, I didn't necessarily expect to get that enthusiasm, but the more I covered it, the more I got it. <laughs> and then it's sort of kind of like a, you know, a virtuous cycle. Um, <laughs> and I would imagine it's about focusing on the things that really interest you in that area. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm really interested by, uh, well, lots of different things, but, you know, I find disputes um, interesting between different different parties, if that's UK tax authorities um, or other authorities and companies or individuals. You know, I did a lot on, on the loan charge um, and the real sort of impact that has on people. Um, so, yeah, just kind of follow what, what the things that you find interesting. And I think generally in taxes in life, that's, that's kind of how I like to, to sort of do things, like go with what I'm interested in. Thanks, Emma. And Heather, what are your thoughts on this topic? First of all, make sure it's what you want to do. I've known people who've gone into accountancy or tax because they think it's going to be a good, well-paid career and they find it utterly boring. And if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to do well at it. So make sure it is what you want to do. Secondly, I think one of the mistakes I made when I was relatively junior was not looking ahead and working out what I wanted my career to be. I was doing well in a big four accountancy firm and I followed that path. I kept wanting to get the next promotion without really asking myself whether what I wanted was to be a partner in a big four firm. And I have to say, I'm much happier now as a partner at Blick Rothenberg, which is a firm with about 60 partners, than I ever was at a partner at Ernst & Young with almost 500. So making sure you're going to enjoy it, taking charge of your own career. And I'm going to come back again to the question of having children. I think for women, it's one of the biggest decisions you can make and people will make different decisions and that's fine. But think about what's right for you and plan accordingly. So if you know you're going to want to have children fairly soon, then for goodness sake, don't get involved in doing corporate transactions all day and all night. Think, and I, I did think about that quite early on. I chose tax in preference to corporate finance partly because I saw that it was a career that I had more chance of being able to carry on if I had children later. So thinking about breaking the glass ceiling, once you've decided where you want to go, then I would say go for it. Make sure that others know that you want this as well. Don't let them pass you over because they assume you're not interested. If you really want an overseas secondment or to get some experience of working in industry take charge of that opportunity and make clear that you want it. And also perhaps look around for people who can be your mentors or sponsors or advisors. There are different roles. A mentor is someone who listens to what you want and discusses with you how you might achieve it. 
A sponsor can be even more valuable because a sponsor is someone where they take responsibility for helping you succeed. So being aware of those sorts of people, I think that senior people in most professions, and particularly women in tax, will respond positively to someone who comes along and says, I want to do X, but I don't know where to start. I think perhaps, just to add, above all, have fun. And if you're not having fun, then you're probably in the wrong role or the wrong job or perhaps even the wrong profession. It's not fun all the time, but if it isn't something which is feeding you in a good way, then think about changing. Great. Thank you so much for all of this incredible advice. And thank you all for taking the time to talk to us. Hopefully some of this has resonated with some of our listeners. So I hope you've all enjoyed this special International Women's Day episode of Taxing Matters and have found it as engaging and informative to listen to as I have. So again, thank you to all of our fabulous guests, Sophia, Heather, Emma, Valentina and Sarah for taking us through their thoughts on this incredibly important topic. And of course, putting up with me. For a big thank you goes to Josh McDonald, who does all of the work pulling each episode together. Our music is from musical genius Andrew Waterson, who also produces each episode. And of course, a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. A full transcript of this episode, together with our references, can be found on our website, www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxing matters. If you like taxing matters, why not try RPC's other podcast offering, Insurance Covered? which looks at the inner workings of the insurance industry, hosted by the brilliant Peter Mansfield and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and our website. If you like this episode, please do take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. And remember to tell a colleague about us. Thank you all for listening and talk to you again in two weeks. Bye.